Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. And do tell your friends, family, and colleagues about the show as well. It makes a big difference indeed. Today we are talking about early childhood development, especially within a UK perspective. And it's an absolute pleasure to welcome onto the show Aida Cable, CEO of Thrive at Five. Thrive at Five is a startup charity, but don't let that fool you. Aida was previously at the Royal Foundation, where she focused on early childhood development. We're going to be looking at the state of affairs here in the UK and how to convene and mobilize stakeholders and their resources to drive forward early childhood development in the UK and indeed internationally as well. Without further ado, Aida, a big heartfelt welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today. It's great to see you again. Yeah, likewise, Alberto. It, it feels like uh, like only yesterday that we were sitting together in uh, the Royal Foundation's offices. I know, I know. And that was a few years back. But um, why don't we start by finding out a little bit about Thrive at Five? What's that all about? Well, thank you so much for having me here to tell you about Thrive at Five. We are a, a relatively new organization. Um, it's only 14 months since the charity was formally established, but it's been a concept that's been in gestation and development probably for about three years and driven by its co-founders Larissa Joy and Grant Gordon and I know you've spoken to Grant Gordon before. Um, Let me tell you a little bit about us. We are as I say a new collective impact initiative. We're trying to help every child to thrive and achieve their potential Um, and what we're doing is supporting parents and communities through collective action so every child can reach a good level of development at five. I'll tell you a bit about the why. I mean, you know this, Alberto, you've had many guests that have spoken really powerfully about this subject, but the science tells us so clearly about the impact that our experiences and environments have on our development in the early years. And we know too that good outcomes are much more easily achieved if there is that, that ecosystem of support around parents and carers and children, people talk about the village, the African proverb, but it's that ecosystem of support that is that is so essential. And what I've seen, what I've observed, and what lots of tall people talk about is the lack of joinder between everybody in that ecosystem. There are loads of people that are passionate, there are brilliant professionals and practitioners, but too often there's they, they can't join hands, they don't join hands. Um, there's no capacity for people to collaborate. Um, and that's where Thrive at Five comes in. Um, and it's really essential we do this work right now. I and mean, I just wanted to say something about uh, where children are today in the UK. Before the pandemic, we had uh, over 30% of children, in fact, 35% of children who were not reaching a good level of development at five. Um, the pandemic has massively exacerbated things. We're looking at over 50% of kids who are not ready for school, that they're a long way behind in their development. And some of it, a lot of that is to do with that lack of continuity of care, that lack of an ecosystem around children and parents. Um, And there's lots of chat about joining hands, but nobody I think is doing that terribly successful in the UK. And that's, that's what Thrive at Five want to do. And we're trying to do three things. So firstly, we are, We are providing that dedicated capacity to help stakeholders to collaborate. Um, We're bringing together 
a really diverse group of stakeholders. So we're looking at the public sector, we're looking at the voluntary sector, we're looking at the private sector. A lot of nurseries here are, are private sector organisations. And we're trying to foster collaboration between all of them. Um, and Thrive at Five is trying to act as the critical friend. So we're, as it were, as a, a neutral backbone organisation. We're trying to steward those relationships. We're bringing in some fresh funding we're bringing in expert knowledge and experience to support initiatives um, that contribute to a common agenda around better childhood development. So we're, we're taking existing strategies, we're mapping the gaps, trying to plug the gaps with everybody collaborating together. Um, and we're trying to get people joined around common visions, common strategies, delivering aligned activities, um, establishing shared measurement systems, so it's all about building common public will, mobilising resources, using data. So it's, it's that, that provision of capacity to collaborate, which is the first thing. The second really important building block for us is the role of parents within that. Um, they're right at the heart of, of getting this right. If we can harness the, the power of parents themselves, not only to provide for their own, own children, children, but to support their, their peers. So we see parents as being the voice that guide the strategies that help us align the right strategies. And we really want to reach out to those parents whose voices are seldom heard. And there's a lot in what we're doing, which is about building the confidence and skills of parents uh, for themselves, but also so that they are able to, to parent their children and be right at the heart of affecting positive change. And the third thing I, I want to emphasize about us is that we are both place-based and national. Um, you know, I, so many organizations work in places and we, we feel that is the right thing to do because every community is different, uh, need is different, the solutions are different, the organisations that are on the ground are different. Um, and so we want to, to develop a collective approach that, that can work in the, in the places that we go to. But ultimately, Alberta, what we're trying to create is a national model. So we have a longer term vision that says that if we work in a number of places, we will find those things that are replicable, those things that are scalable, um, and ultimately we want to create a playbook something that could be rolled out in, in communities across the UK. So not short on, on ambition, Alberto. Not at all, not at all. You're not faced by the task at hand. Um, no, no not, not at all, Alberto. I mean, there's, there are so many people out there who have been fighting the good fight in the early, in the early years. Um, and, and in many ways, I think that we are standing on the shoulders of giants. And it would be, I think it's really important to acknowledge what that there has been a lot of work out there and this is very much about joining those individuals those organizations together those those groups of parents that are already out there working really hard to improve outcomes yeah now so you're really focused on early childhood development as, as it says on the tin you know thrive at five but i imagine that zero to five age bracket is really your the sweet spot of where you're focusing on uh, many people listening to this podcast listen not just from the uk from across the world I'm sure some some folks listening are thinking, well, okay, but why focus on the UK? I mean, you know, there there's so many challenges going on elsewhere in the world. And I think, for instance, one of your trustees is from the Lego Foundation. They do great work on ECD 
early childhood development in, in, in much of the global South. Um, tell us a little bit about the need, and I, you, you touched on it briefly uh, before, but tell us a little bit about the state of affairs with early childhood development in the UK and why there is a need to, uh, to, to address this issue, that, that the state of affairs is not satisfactory. Yeah, I think, I suppose, need it. Um, you know, I talked earlier about the number of children who are not reaching a good level of development. And so there's need at, at five itself, but there is a much bigger story here about why that matters for the long term in the UK. Um, I'm just sort of come, going to come out of that a little bit internationally. I mean, some of your listeners will be well aware of the, the Dunedin study, the brilliant Dunedin study in New Zealand tracking those over a thousand kids for over 50 years now and showing really clearly what happens if you don't get it right in the early years, the effect that has on children's outcomes as adults, they're related to their health, their happiness, their employability. So we know that there is that longitudinal effect on children whose outcomes are poor. Um, and it really struck me, uh, in fact, just in this last month uh, that that is very much the case here and that's thanks to some great research that's been conducted by University College London, um, one of the researchers on that, Lee Elliott Major, Professor Lee Elliott Major, and they were looking at um, the millennium cohort in this country, so kids born in, in 2000, um, now 22, um, and they looked at the, those kids results at uh, 16, so end of high school, uh, we have GCSEs here, and there's a tale about the forgotten fifth. So 20% of kids at 16 fail to get a pass in maths and English. That's a huge figure. And we know that for those children that their futures will be difficult. It will be difficult for them to secure jobs. It will be difficult for them to earn and look after their own children. We just know that. The striking thing about that 20%, and you could track it back with the Millennium Cohort, was that we knew about half of that 20% at five. So at five, 10% of children were behind, of the 10% of children were known to be behind within those development. You could track them through and there they were at 16. So, so there is work to be done here. Um, it's urgently needed. I, I talked earlier about the impact of the pandemic on the youngest in society. Um, and just picking up about your observation about the Lego Foundation and, and the Lego Group being, being supporting and being part of our work. Um, I was intrigued by that because I think we were familiar with the Lego Foundation's brilliant work in the Global South. Um, I think the fact that they are here with us and they support other organisations in the UK is recognition of the need. I think it's also recognition of uh, the transportability of solutions. Uh, there is no reason why work that we do here uh, can't influence work internationally. So, so there's, there's something powerful here about both, both need and, and replicability, I think, and, and, and a broad international story about the unifying importance of, of early childhood. Mm. How easy is it or otherwise to connect with these relevant stakeholders, partners, people of consequence or organizations of means who are either interested in early childhood development right now or could be persuaded to be involved? I know before you, you took on this role, as CEO at Thrive at Five, you were chief advisor to the Royal Foundation uh, of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. And in, in that area, you, you really focus on early years and mental health, which there's a lot of overlap there. Um, 
so you already had sort of visibility into more than one organization, but tell us a little bit about the fabric of stakeholders in this space. How united are they? What, what are the opportunities to really start those connections and mobilize? You use some very interesting language there about mobilization, which I'll, I'll come back to. So um, I think one of the most challenging and difficult aspects of this work um, is this a pure diversity of stakeholders that, that one is trying to, to engage with. So we're talking about stakeholders who are in the health space, the education space, the social care space. I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely vast. So there, is, so there is a challenge in that. And there is a challenge in the fact that the system is not built in a way that helps all of those stakeholders to work together. There isn't an incentive to work together because you know, there's no part of the process that, that tells the health, the health visitor to talk to the nursery teacher that talks that tells the nursery teacher to talk to the midwife. I mean, it's just we just it's just not built like that. So there are some some deeply embedded systemic challenges which make collaboration hard. Um, and I, I'm just to sort of illustrate that a little further. There was a report brought out um, by Andrea Ledston MP. Um, about the best start for life. And that talked about, and I'll get this figure wrong, I think it'll underestimate it. But I think it's like 12, 12 different government departments and the same number of ministers, all who have a little bit of a stake in the early years, um, but nobody and nothing standing above all of that to, to pull all of those pieces together. So there's a, there is a huge systemic challenge. Set against that is the willingness of people to talk to each other. So there's no sort of difficulty in people wanting wanting to be connected. Um, you know, we're talking about committed individuals uh, who want to do the right thing by young children. Uh, what they struggle with is the opportunity to do that, the capacity to come into a room together. Um, and that's why I think Thrive at Five is essential. I mean, it's, it's, it's the problem that we kept hearing about when I was at the Royal Foundation, it is a problem identified in that Best Start for Life report over and over again. We need to join things together. But whose job is that? Whose job is it to get people to work collaboratively? And how do you do that if you don't have the capacity to convene meetings, to, to think about joint strategies? Um, you know, I've never been a, a great believer in the proliferation of, of many charities for the sake of there being many charities. So it was a it was a difficult decision to, to join an organization which is a new charity. I had to think long and hard about that, that. Was this the right thing to do? And I think it is because I think we're providing something that is necessary, which is the glue. And I see this as the glue that, that pulls the strands together. Um, there's a sort of, there's also sort of layering of this, Alberto. I think there are people operating at a national level who are pulled together in different ways through campaigns, through discussions, through 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 groups which uh, you know gather monthly, bi-monthly and, and talk. But what quite often isn't joined into that are the hyper-local organizations that are operating on the ground. And we've we've started work in a in a, our first place. You'll you know, I was talking about the fact that our work is both place-based and national, and the first place we're working in is, is Stoke-on-Trent. Um, and we started with an exercise of discovery, a good six months of discovery work. And whilst there was there's challenge there, and that's not surprising, I think the thing that 
was was really empowering was seeing the number of hyper-local organizations that are doing extraordinary work on the ground, but it's it's those organizations that are quite often not sort of plugged in. So it's difficult for them to scale, it's difficult for them to have the conversations that ensure a continuity of care for, for parents and children. So yes, both challenge and opportunity in that in that field of and are you finding is there a trend or is the pendulum moving in certain direction in terms of people coming into the field or getting out of it and i think when you and i first met uh the pendulum was unequivocal it was certainly everybody was plowing into early early childhood uh more recently i have heard of some foundations moving away from the space a little bit uh, by the same token i've have i've heard of really great organizations like the scouts you know delivering really innovative early years propositions that they did, you know, early childhood development propositions that they didn't have before. How are you, um, you, you've been in this field long enough. How are things moving? Where are they moving to? Are, are people losing uh, focus on early years and maybe paying more attention to conflict, inflation, various other things? Um, it's a great question. Um, it's, I think it swings and roundabouts. If, if, you know, I think there, there are so many causes um, that are worthy of support in the modern modern world, and 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 some of the decisions that are made by philanthropists, um, by uh, charitable organisations, are dictated by crises right now. Um, and, you know, and there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we have to there there there's real need. Um, there's obviously even around the environment. We saw you know, and that too is right. And I when I started and I was talking about the science behind early childhood development environments affect children <laughs> and the way that we grow up and you know if there is no world to live in um the sort of the conversation about early childhood become somewhat irrelevant so so all of these are entirely valid causes does that mean that there are people that you know are we seeing a waning of interest in the early childhood i don't think so i mean i've i've been in fact really encouraged by things that come alongside us at a very early stage in our uh our journey, essentially taken a risk on, on the methodology, the concept that we are proposing, because what they're seeing is that there isn't a silver bullet. Um, so I, I think and I am encouraged by those that are prepared to take that long-term view and think about systemic change. And I think there are a sufficient number of players in the market, uh, you know, long-standing international players, an increasing number of national players in the UK who, who can see the power of this work. So when they think about business, for example, they can see that actually there's good cause to start in the early years when they think about mental health. And that, that was the journey that I went on um, at the Royal Foundation. When you think about mental health and getting that right, actually, you should go back to early childhood and think about the social and emotional development of children. So, so as I say, sort of swings and swings and roundabouts. I think there is sufficient uh, there is sufficient number of thoughtful players who are in this field. Um, I suppose we'd all ultimately want governments around the world to take a long term view of this, um, so that we have sustainability baked into. Uh, baked into the support that, that all children need universally. Now you, um, so Thrive at Five is a, is a new organization, I think fair to describe you as a startup, uh, even though um, unlike other startups, you know, they do have, you guys do have 
uh, you're at the helm and you're someone who's very experienced in this field. And likewise, you mentioned Grant Gordon is one of your founders, a uh, great philanthropist who I've had on the show before. Tell us a little bit about how it all came about. So how did it all happen? Give us a little bit of insight into that. So I, I met Grant and Larissa about three, almost four years ago. Um, I was at the Royal Foundation at the time. Um, I was working on uh, the Duchess of Cambridge, now Princess of Wales, um, early childhood project. We were thinking at that time about where the levers for change might be. And we had arrived in a space of seeing a couple of things. You know, one, you know, one thing that we haven't spoken about today, Alberto, is the um, lack of societal understanding about the importance of the early years. Uh, so we were seeing, and we saw through, through some research that 23.8% of people in the UK do not see the early years as being critical to future health and happiness. So it was one of those, that was one of the big themes that was emerging. And there was also this emerging theme around the importance of getting individuals and organizations to collaborate in the early years at a grassroots and a national level and making sure that parents are right at the heart of that, that collective action. So I was delighted to then meet Larissa and Grant who were trying to convene philanthropists to have this conversation. And they were, they were talking about a point I mentioned earlier about the, the benefits and the disadvantages of investments in particular initiatives to support early childhood development um, set against a more sort of collective approach. And, and it was a really lively, thoughtful and encouraging debate. And I, and I, and I felt from, from the get-go that Larissa and Grant were really onto something. Um, so I, I continued on a journey with them and I was very fortunate to be involved in, in their, their discussions with philanthropists as they developed their concept. Um, and so I was very delighted when Larissa came to me, I, I think in uh, early 2020, to say that they were, they were ready to go. They had developed the concept sufficiently so that it now had a, uh, an organisational structure around it. Um, and... And that was the point I, I decided to jump on board with them. Um, but they had done a lot of the hard thinking uh, uh, before before I even reached them. That's very good. Very good. And now in terms of what's keeping you awake with excitement, what, what, what is it that you're looking at and saying, you know, rubbing your hands with glee and saying, oh, these are the sort of things we can do here? It goes back and is connected to the conversation we were ha having about supporters in this field and where where, you know, where they see, where they see the, I suppose the access for change, and I think there's there's real appetite to think about how we bring about long term sustainable social change by working with communities. So taking a sort of a bottom up approach, um, and I think if we can get that right, we're talking of not not just about isolated pockets of parents groups doing doing great things we we could be talking about a viral movement uh, a society that is in touch with the early childhood understanding its importance part of my excitement comes from the rather negative space of the pandemic actually um you know there we had a moment in a time of 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 crisis um existential crisis and 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 how did people respond well i'm a 
we saw across the country and communities, people coming together, they'd, they'd got it. And, you know, there was everything from the small acts of kindness, household to household, to neighbourhoods coming together to support each other. And we have, we have that in spades, um, naturally, as, as communities, as a society. The, the opportunity, I think, is, is creating that laser focus on early childhood. Um, and I'm so encouraged by the work that already goes on in the UK. We have national organisations like Homestart, like Corum. You talked about the Scouts and the work they're now doing in, in early childhood. Um, we have the work that was started by a Better Start community connectors up in Blackpool, for example. And then, as, and, and then in Stoke, these, these hyper-local movements. So there's a lot of this work going on. And the opportunity, I think, is around scale. How do we how do we take all of this these national initiatives these local initiatives and turn that into something that that spreads into those communities that most need that that connectivity how do we scale that up so that it benefits everybody um, and I think there is there's currency in that both in the UK and internationally um, I've been inspired reading about uh, an organisation called Mothers to Mothers. Mm-hmm. And there they put, they put mothers who are HIV positive right at the heart of change. They skill up those parents so that they are effectively health workers. They are able to be effective because they have those relationships with their neighbours, with their friends, with fellow parents. They have trust. And so what they do is far more effective than the professional health worker that, is, that arrives, that is, that is alien to that community. There's a real power in that. And... I think what mothers to mothers are getting right, and I, I think it's hard, is that they are they are pay, paying those parents, they're employing them, they're skilling them up, empowering, harnessing the power of those communities. And so that's what's really exciting me, Alberto. So I think if we can if we can bring all of those different bits of thinking together, we could be onto something that is transformative, that doesn't rely on government policies and magic money trees something that is genuinely preventative at a community level. If we're sitting for if we're sitting down for a coffee, another coffee in 10 years time or let's say 2030, the year of the sustainable development goals, what do you think will be? What do you think success would look like? There's a thrive at five piece to that obviously and that's uh, where I'd like us to see see us more generally. I mean for us, of course, I would like thousands of children uh, in that period of time to have been supported to reach a good level of development. Um, I would like to see many more individuals and organizations working together collectively, understanding the power of that. Um, I'd like to see that, that culture change, that behavior change that just, just makes that a way of doing things. It's all about a different way of approaching um, and it's not just the early years, because actually that collective approach could work in any field of endeavour. But we've got, you know, we, we're starting in the early years. I'd like to see our learning journey having been spread nationally. Um, this isn't just about us. It's about how do you how do you create a national model? How do you influence policy and practice nationally and internationally? And what I'd love to see in 2030 is is a shift in that 23.8 percent figure, Alberto. So 2030, how do we get to 100% of people who understand the significance of getting it right in the early years in the way that climate change has become 
the unquestionable good cause. You know, how do we make this common currency? How do we get a national, international conversation about early childhood? Because it's not just about those kids, it's about all of us in society. Um, and the science is there. We know, we know it's important. We just need to get that message out. And so in 2030, I'd like everybody to talk about the early childhood development, investment in it, a focus on it as being the no-brainer. Yeah. Do you miss it? Do you miss, um, you know, you, you've gone from a very high-profile, highly regarded, established uh, organization in the Royal Foundation to a startup that many people haven't heard about. Do you miss it? Do you miss being in a, in a, in a more uh, uh, structured setting or, or are you uh, rolling up your sleeves with, uh, with gusto? You know what, I, I'm, I'm loving it, Alberto, and I'm, I'm loving it because um, I think I got to a stage where I wanted to, to be closer to the action um, and undoubtedly am there. Um, I'm very lucky to have a great team around me, to have great supporters of the work um, and a real sense that we can make change. Um, you know, the great thing is I know that uh, the Princess of Wales will continue her work in early childhood development. So, you know, there is that narrative that will continue that helps the thousand flowers bloom. Um, you know, and I hope that Thrive at Five can be one of those flowers and be a really vibrant one. Here, 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 here. Give us a uh, key takeaway. What's that key takeaway you'd love for the audience to keep in mind after they finish listening to today's episode? I've been thinking about this, Alberto. We, we were talking about all the other things that are going on in the world at the moment. Um, you know, you listen to the radio and it's all about war and energy prices and cost of living and, you know, the crisis right in front of our noses. And and people might say, look, Aida, this isn't the time for us to be thinking about the under fives. You know, there's, there, are bigger, there are other fish to fry right now. And the answer to that, I say, and I, this is a really important message, it is more important than ever for us to be focusing on those under fives because markets will correct. We will get through this. You know, it, it's going to be painful, but we will come out the other side of this. We as adults, we, we as sort of grown-up markets, as people that invest in it, our pensions will be all right. But that isn't necessarily the case for the youngest in society right now. I talked about the fact that in the UK, we've now got over half of children arriving in school not ready. Their levels of development not where they should be. This is not a time for us to take the, our eyes off the ball because if we don't get it right for them, they will be in crisis in 20 to 30 years time. Remembering what I said about that millennium cohort, you know, this is, you know, a crisis for them today doubles down. It becomes a crisis for them in 20, 30, 40, 50 years. So I would say to anybody listening to this, this is not a time to walk away from early childhood. It, it is a point in time where we should have a laser-like focus on it. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I'm wishing you uh, a great deal of success at Thrive at Five and the work you're doing. And uh, and I look forward to welcoming you back on the show maybe a year or two down the line. You can tell us how things are unfolding. Thanks so much, Aida, for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure seeing you again. Thanks, Alberto, and likewise. Perfect. And that's a wrap. Thanks very much for joining us today on the Do One Better podcast. You've been listening to a great chat with Aida Cable. 
Chief Executive Officer of Thrive at Five. For information about this episode and nearly 200 other interviews and case studies with remarkable leaders in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship, just visit our website, eligi.org. That's L-I-D-J-I.org. Please click that subscribe button and tell your friends, family, and colleagues about the show. It makes a big difference indeed. Subscribe and follow us. Helps others to find the show. Thank you as ever, and I'll catch you next week. 